Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Everybody, how's it going? Let's try that again. Hey, everybody. Man, I honestly I feel like I have some kind of communicable disease here, friends. Like this is this is odd. I don't know that this has ever happened at Awaken. It's okay though. You don't you don't have to feel like you need to you know move up to the padded seats or anything. Do you know that we talked about uh, padding the pews one time in the history of our church? Like we moved into this big Catholic building, we should pad these pews. Do you have any idea how much it costs to pad pews? It's an insane amount of money, and so we decided not to. So. That's your incentive if you want a padded seat. Um, I'm sorry. Let's try this again. <clears throat> hey, welcome to Awaken, everybody. Glad you're here. My name is Micah. <clears throat> uh, if you are new, welcome. Wow. Uh, we, we are glad that you're here and would love to know that you are. Uh, if you could fill out a form online, there's a little button you can click on there. Uh, it says, I'm new. That uh, lets us know you were here. We'll reach out to you, invite you to a beverage of your choice to hear a little bit more about you and your story. For those that call Awaken Home, a couple of things that are important for you to know about. Numero uno, trunk or treat. That's next week, friends. It's Halloween. We're hosting a little trunk or treat party in the back, so the parking lot will be turned into a, uh, a, a, a zone of fun with candy and fun for all. Uh, so if you have not signed up for that, please do so that we know that you would like to host a trunk. Um, to do that, really, you just do what the, the, the graphic says, you know, just decorate your trunk and your car and have candy to pass out to the children of the neighborhood. I've got some people who have told me their ideas for their trunks, and it's going to be a pretty uh, intense contest. There is a contest for the best trunk, decorated trunk. Um, so, uh, you know, bring your A-game, I guess, is the moral of that story. Um, also, related to that, today, if you're able, um, we have flyers in the back uh, where we used to serve coffee, and we will once, one, once, one day again, so help me God. Uh, if you stop there on your way out, there's a little map of the neighborhood, and if you could just take some flyers and, like, put them on people's doors, uh, it'll take, like, literally five minutes. You know, we'll give you one block, flyers on the neighborhood, let people know that we're doing this. That would be awesome. Our friends in the back will give you some flyers and mark where you've been. Um, and then second, uh, second announcement is related to kids' community. So we're trying to get nursery up to like five-year-olds up and running here at Awaken. So Mandy will be here next week to give a full update on what that's looking like and what we need in order to make that happen. Um, in the meantime, if you want to connect with Mandy and you're able to, uh, to serve downstairs with our kids, our goal is like once a month for one hour people serve in, the, in kids' community, which, you know, that's doable. I think uh, that's, that's not a crazy ask. So Mandy at AwakenWest7th.com. Sound good? Okay, second hour. Are you ready for this? <clears throat> I'm ready. Um, John chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to turn there. Last week we started a series uh, called Faith and Doubt. And we are looking at, uh, a, last week we looked at sort of four stages uh, in the spiritual journey. Uh, because we want to say that like the spiritual journey is, is one that people have been studying and thinking about for a long period of time, like for as long as people have been writing about spiritual things, uh, the idea that this life of, uh, uh, of faith is one that is somewhat predictable, you know, uh, you can mark moments along the way. 
Um, and, and in doing so, we also give ourselves the, the benefit of saying like, oh, I'm not going crazy, or oh, I'm not losing my faith, or oh, this is totally normal when people go through this stage. I just didn't have language for it. Hopefully, that uh, will happen as we go through the series. And, and now, in the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at six different people in Scripture who just ask questions or who express doubt. So if you remember last week, we sort of laid this groundwork, and I'll just give you a little bit of a refresher, and if you're new, we'll catch you up to speed. Top left, moving down, and then over to the right, four stages of faith, right? Simplicity, complexity, perplexity, harmony. First stage could be described uh, as authority, dependence, um, lots of rules, dualism, either or ways of thinking, right, wrong, right? Um, <clears throat> The second stage of faith is, is where you sort of begin to take the things you've learned in stage one and uh, work them out, right? So it's pragmatic, it's, it's, it's practical, it's very uh, strategic, or um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's you're building something, you're constructing something. So some people talk about the first half of life and the second half of life. First half of life, you're building in the container. That's stage two, okay? Stage three begins when you start to ask some, some really important questions about the container that you're building uh, or the system that you grew up in, right? Um, maybe uh, you're, you're beginning to deconstruct, you're beginning to, to be suspicious uh, in a good way, skeptical in a good way, asking questions about some things, assumptions that, well, everybody believes that. Well, do they? And why? Well, that's just what the Bible says. Well, is it and does it? That's stage three, uh, perplexity. And then moving into stage four is this um, kind of the second naivete. It's unitive. It's integrated. Uh, this is where the sages and the wisdom, uh, the wise people learn to live from. This is a place where it's generous and humble and free, how we hold our beliefs and in our, in our, uh, the way we show up in the world. So again, it's important to be able to kind of mark those and see where we may be on that journey, um, but also just to know that you're not going crazy. You're not losing your mind or your faith. A couple of observations that we made last week that I want to just remind us of, and then we'll jump into John 3. Um, transcend and include. As we think about spiritual journeys and stages of faith, it's important we learn to transcend, to grow, right, to become, but also to include. To not look back on our journey or anyone else's journey with disdain or disgust. I'm like, oh gosh, I can't believe I used to think that way. Or I can't believe they still think that way, right? No, we transcend and we include. We bring along and I, 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 again, I'll say, it, I'll say it again. I said it last week. I think this is, this is the only way we learn to really love ourselves, all of ourselves, and, and who, we've, who we've been and, and now are. And it's the only way we learn to love others who may be different than us, if we learn to transcend and include, right? And then um, doubt is the doorway to deeper faith. Doubt is not uh, something we get past. It's not something like a one-stop, and then we get beyond it, and now we don't doubt anymore, because that would be, like, that would be different than faith, that would be certainty. That would be arriving at a destination. And that's really not what this is about. This is a long walk called life. This is a journey. And we're after faith and being faithful people, not becoming certain and arriving at a particular location. So doubt is a doorway. It's the, it's the catalyst. It's actually necessary to continue to move along the journey. And, of course, uh, if we're not looking, at, looking after certainty and we're not desiring certainty as the destination or the product at the end of the carrot at the end of the stick, but rather faith, we're going to have to learn to dance with doubt. Doubt is the dance partner to faith. These two things will just always be connected to one another in our lives. So good news or maybe bad news for you that uh, whatever doubt you've experienced or questions that you have, they're likely going to be with you forever. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week. <clears throat>
No, but uh, this is actually part of the life of faith. So this week, we're going to look at John chapter 3, Nicodemus. Uh, There are three moments in scripture that we find Nicodemus, and they're really interesting stories. We're going to look at all three of them just briefly and try to see what what are the ways in which Nicodemus speaks into this story, this journey of faith and doubt. So Larissa is going to read our first passage for us. So if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of the scripture, John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. John 3, 1 through 9. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Pray with me. God, this morning as we look to this text uh, as our teacher, this story, this person, Nicodemus, I pray, um, as I often do, that you would do what you have been doing for thousands of years, that you are faithful to do, uh, which is to reveal yourself to us through it. So insofar as we are able, we open our hearts and our minds to uh, your presence and ask that you would speak a word of encouragement, of challenge, of love, of hope, maybe even forgiveness to us this morning, we pray in Christ's name and by the power of the Spirit. The church said together, amen. You may be seated. Nicodemus. Um, First, who is this guy? A little bit about him. Uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. If you don't know much about the scriptures, the Pharisees are uh, the Jewish teachers um, in every town in in the ancient world in in Israel. Uh, There would have been a synagogue where they would have worshipped, and the the Pharisees were the ones who were responsible for teaching, you know, Torah classes and uh, the liturgy. They were responsible for sort of the life of the the church, as it were, uh, the synagogue. Um, these folks believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in angels and demons. They believed in not only Torah, the written law, but also the oral law or the oral tradition. And that's opposed to the Sadducees. So the Sadducees are another group of people that you might hear about in Scripture. They did not believe in those things. So they differentiated from the Pharisees. Okay? Pharisees, uh, again, uh, resurrection of the dead, angels and demons, oral law, and Torah. Um, they were... Uh, So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was also a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, you might get, uh, when you get into the crucifixion story, you hear about this group, this, you know, ruling council. This was a group of people comprised of Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were sort of the highest court in Israel. So if you had a case or something that needed to be adjudicated, you would bring it to the Sanhedrin often. Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin. So Nicodemus was not only a Pharisee, he's a part of this Sanhedrin. So this this is a ruling, religious, elite member of society. Um, he is a part of 
very famous conversations with Jesus. Christians talk about being born again all the time, you know, especially evangelicals. We love this idea of being born again. Nicodemus is part of that conversation. If you keep going in John, he's the inspiration for the guy at the end zone in the, end, in the football fields, right? John 3.16. That's a conversation with Nicodemus. Um, Nicodemus actually becomes an inspiration for, in American history, slaves who were looking to kind of throw off or uh, shed their former life and they would, they would look to Nicodemus as an example, as a sort of person to look to and be um, encouraged by. Nicodemus is a pretty big deal in church history, both the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholic Church. Um, uh, he's a saint in both of those traditions. So um, this guy is a, he is a part of much uh, speculative and sort of imaginative, interpretive work in the Bible because there's only three stories with him, and they're short, and the distance that he travels from the first story to the last story is like a million miles with not a lot of information in between. So people love to in, like, try to think like, okay, well, what do you think happened in between the first story and the last story? So lots of people love Nicodemus for that reason. So let's unpack this first moment with Jesus first. Um, I want to suggest that a seed is planted in Nicodemus in this interaction with Jesus. He comes to Jesus. He's heard a lot of things about Jesus. Jesus has been teaching and doing lots of amazing things. And so Nicodemus comes to him, and a few things to notice. John says he comes to him at night. Now, pastors like me, we love this because, you know, what does it mean that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night? Oh, my gosh, all this speculation. And lots of people say lots of things. You could see this in a couple of different ways or for a couple of different reasons. The first of which is Nicodemus shouldn't be hanging out with Jesus. Jesus is a brigand. He's a revolutionary. He's saying things that, like, the religious leaders are getting all bent out of shape about. And Nicodemus, he's like, you know, hoity-toity. He's got his chin up. He's straight-laced. So he shouldn't be hanging out with Jesus, but he's just got to because he has these questions. He ha- cannot, like, get out of his head. So he goes to Jesus in the cover of darkness because he doesn't want anybody to see. You know, like a teenager sneaking out at night. I had a moment the other day. I was mowing the lawn. I have this egress window in my yard, and there's a little cover over the egress window, and that cover was up. And I was like, I didn't move that egress window cover. I wonder who did. Maybe Nicodemus was trying to get out and see Jesus late at night. I don't have anybody named Nicodemus living in my house, but we'll see. I'm on the case, though, guys. Don't worry. I'm on the case. Maybe Nicodemus is coming to Jesus under the cover of darkness because he doesn't want it to be seen. Although, a lot of people argue, scholars, a lot smarter than me, Nicodemus would have had disciples. These were called Talmudims. They would have followed Nicodemus around. They would have been with him all the time. Like, like when they go to the bathroom, like, the disciples are there. They, like, everything that they would have done, the disciples would have followed them and been a part of. So people would argue, like, there's no way Nicodemus, this teacher of the law who has all these disciples, goes to talk to Jesus without the disciples there. So maybe he just wanted uninterrupted time with the teacher of the law. Ancient text tells us that oftentimes when the rabbis would get together and they wanted to talk, or when they had debate and deep conversations about Torah, it would go late into the night. So maybe Nicodemus is just like, hey, i got to get some uninterrupted time with this guy. And that conversation went late into the night. That's another way to think about it. A third way is it's part of John's way of telling his story. If you read John's gospel, you recognize very quickly he does a lot with light and darkness. Those who are in the darkness spiritually are unable to see. They're they're not enlightened. They're they're not able to, specifically Jesus, uh, they're in the dark related to him. And then when they're in the light, uh, they're able to see. So 
Nicodemus comes to Jesus at first, he's in the dark. He doesn't know. He's not sure about Jesus. He does, he's like, how can this be? How can a man be born again? I don't even know. In the dark. And then we find out later, actually, he's in the light. So all that to say, he comes to Jesus at night, and a seed of doubt is planted. A seed of question, a seed of wonder is planted in Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus says, okay, Jesus... I've been studying this stuff my whole life, and yet I've never heard this teaching. I've never heard this way of thinking. How can a person be born again? Like, do you, do you, do, do, do you enter your mother a second time? And Jesus says, well, Nicodemus, you clearly don't get this. A seed of doubt, a seed of unknowing, a seed of question is planted in Nicodemus. Something that he hadn't heard about, something that he had not been taught before. And notice what Nicodemus does. Or, said differently, notice what he doesn't do. We don't know everything that happened. It may not even even have gone down exactly like this, but this is how John tells the story. Nicodemus sits with the question. He lets it linger, to quote the cranberries. That was pretty hot. That was pretty good, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Do you have to let it linger? (laughs) Come on, guys! I mean, (laughs) thank you! That, That was, like, really really spot on. He lets the question linger. He just lets it sit there. He doesn't dig it up. He doesn't eradicate it. He doesn't exit, right? He lets it be. He's confronted with something new, a new perspective, a new way of thinking about something he cares deeply about. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't go on the offense. He doesn't get aggressive. At least not in the text. Question for us this morning as we think. Because this is a story about somebody else so far, so long ago. When you're confronted with a new idea, what do you do? How do you respond when you're confronted with a perspective that's different from the one that you hold? What's your natural response? Like, this isn't an indictment, but rather an opportunity to reflect. When I'm challenged with a new perspective, especially when it's something that I care deeply about, my response is often start building fences, start building walls, start defending, start aggressing, start, right, I get a little anxious, maybe out of fear, anger. But it's almost as if, Nick, if you closed your eyes and you imagined this scenario, And you heard Nicodemus say, how can this be? It's like almost a bit of wonder. Almost like curiosity, inquiry. How is that possible? How can this be? He doesn't push it away or dig it up if it is a seed of unknowing, a seed of doubt. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit? Why do all these people like this guy so much? Are these people actually being healed? Why does he seem so free and I feel so bound up? It's a seed that gets planted, and I just love that Nicodemus lets it lay there. The next time we see Nicodemus is in chapter 7, so if you have your Bibles, turn there. Jesus has just said a bunch of things to a bunch of really important people. 
He's talking to a crowd, but the Pharisees are listening in. And he's talking about who has sent him and the fact that he's been sent by the Father. And he knows God, but those who are looking at Jesus don't know who has sent him, which is basically the Pharisees who are overhearing the conversation. So he's just said some really interesting things. And the Pharisees are mad. They are mad as a hornet's nest. They've sent the temple guards to go and capture Jesus because they're so bent out of shape. So this is where we pick up the story. Verse 45, finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked him, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? (laughs) Like, you just see the stick being put in the wheel, like the spokes, right? (laughs) They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. They were wrong on that, actually. There were a couple of prophets who did come out of Galilee. But either way... A couple of things to notice from this passage. Notice the movement of the seed that was planted in the first interaction, and then notice the question that that Nicodemus asks. So first, this movement. Nicodemus, at least according to the text, I believe, had a seed of unknowing, of doubt, of question, planted by Jesus. You have to be born again, born of the Spirit. How do you not know these things? You're you're the teacher of the law. How can this be? And then he lets it lay there, and, and it begins to work on him. It begins to move in him, because at the next time we see him, he's with his pals. Think about this. He's studied with these guys for his whole life. Like, it's not that big of a world out there. And if you were a, a Pharisee, you would have been in class with these clowns, right? I mean, I used to have these group of guys. We would smoke cigars and drink beer and talk about Jesus and the Bible in college. Like, that kind of crew. Like, this is, these are your, your, your buddies, And Nicodemus, something has happened in him, so much so that the next time we see him, his pals are going on the offense against Jesus. They're like, bring him in, ring him up, let's put some charges on this guy. He's a brigand, he's a rebel, he's a revolutionary, he's talking nonsense, heresy, he's outside the lines. And Nicodemus is like, ah, and can you imagine the scenario, right? Like, it's hot, it's tense, and Nicodemus is like, I beg your pardon, but does our law not require, or what does he say? Does our law condemn a man without having first heard him? It's like he knows, everybody knows the answer to that question, but Nicodemus asks it on Jesus' behalf, potentially at cost to himself. Have you ever had a seed of doubt or a question work on you so much so that it begins to change the way you think? And act. I remember the first time I came across like real suffering in my life. And I had been taught a whole bunch of things about the way God works and how the the world works and what God was sovereign over and God's plan in the world. And then I actually saw someone suffering. And I thought to myself, that can't be right. And I sat with that for long enough that it began to change how I thought about God and what God was like and how God interacted with evil in the world and suffering. Same thing happened to me with prayer. 
I was taught all these things about prayer. This is how prayer works. You know, if you, you, the prayer of a faithful man availeth much. Prayer without ceasing. Ask not. You have not because you ask not. And then I just kept asking. And it was like my prayers were echoing off the walls of the universe. Anybody ever been there before? And I thought to myself, is that really how prayer works? I remember being in the, in the basement of a coffee shop when a, a member of this church came out to me and it was a seed of question, of doubt, where I thought to myself, huh, I've been told all these things about queer folks and, and what the Bible says about it. And then this person sat in front of me and I thought, huh, the Spirit of God is clearly a part of their life. How is that possible? How can this be? And over the course of 10 years, it's changed the way I think about the Bible and about God. This is what questions and doubt does when we don't dig it up because we're scared. Nicodemus lets it rest, and it actually changes how he shows up in the world to where he begins to defend Jesus at cost to himself. And he leverages a question. I love a good question. The power of a question <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I grew up in an educational system where the answer was, was what we were all after, right? Think about that. If you were to just flip the script on how we educate our, our young people, and you were to say, what we're after, kids, is not the answer to the question, but I'm looking for a better question. Did you know that like Judaism, from which Jesus comes, the rabbis, this is what they were most interested in. They weren't interested in the answer to the question, the theological riddle that they could solve. They actually taught them how to ask better questions. It's fascinating. Because a question in the beginning, which Nicodemus sits with, is now used to challenge a system. Because questions, they're versatile, are they not? Multifaceted. A question can, you know, begin to unravel the sweater if you pull the thread. Gosh, I'm on a roll. <laughs> That's Weezer, everybody. You know, the little sweater, of men the mental sweater that you've knit so neatly in your, in your mind, and then you pull that one thread on that sucker, and the whole thing begins to unravel, and you're just like, good Lord, have mercy. Sometimes a question, it's, it's revelatory. When someone asks a question, you're like, oh. You, it reveals something about them, Right? And sometimes when they ask a question, you're like, ooh, there's more behind that. Because it's hiding something. It's actually protecting something because we're afraid. Sometimes a question disrupts a system or a moment or a person. Uh, it, it can unlock something in us. Uh, my wife and I have this conflict that we are in the midst of. Don't worry, friends. It's, a, it's one of those low-grade ones that's just always there. You know, you got to pay the bills and do the work around the house and send the kids to school and buy groceries and all that. But then there's this conflict, you know. So we've been kind of walking in this. And I just, I, I, I like, this is, this is the way to see this. It's clear on this one. Like, hello. Uh, and we were with our friends, Chad and Liz. And, you know, dear, dear friends, where if you don't have a, a friends like this, where you can just like, like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's go there. <laughs> right in front of our friends. So we just lay the whole thing out there. And my friend Liz just throws an absolute laser beam at me and asks a question in a way where I was like, oh, no. That's not actually what I said, but there are kids in the room. <clears throat> and a question, like, totally disrupted my train that I was on, thankfully, because it was the wrong train. 
the power of a question. If you call yourself a Christian and like are interested in the person of Jesus and, and following this Jesus, I wanna, I wanna offer a suggestion to you this morning as humbly as I can. For me in my life, answers were always what I was after. It was like the pearl of great price. And that was the thing that we were trying to get was the answer to the question. Get to the bottom of it. What does, the, what does, the, what does it mean? What's the single meaning of the text? And I'm just not sure that's really helpful sometimes. In fact, many times. So as followers of Jesus, might I encourage you to think deeply about questions. What role they play in the life of faith. How you use them as a person of faith. What they reveal in the asker. Krista Tippett says, questions beget answers of their kind. I think questions are far more valuable than we think they are. And Nicodemus shows us that because he leverages a question to stop a system in its tracks. Does our law condemn a man before we listen to what he has to say? No, of course it doesn't. He knows the answer to that question. It's a setup. We find Nicodemus one final time in John chapter 19. We begin with, in the dark, a seed of doubt is, is sown in Nicodemus. He lets it lay. It shows up. It begins to inform and impact how he acts in the world. He uses a question to actually challenge something, which is beautiful. And then in John chapter 19, we see at the end of the story, this is right before the resurrection, Jesus is dead. We pick it up in verse 38. <clears throat> Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by none other than Nicodemus, the man who came, who earlier had visited Jesus at night. John wants to make sure we know that, that he's also the beloved disciple, and he beat Peter to the tomb. Thanks. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was in the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. <clears throat> I want to close today by inviting us to see what Nicodemus has seen. John tells us that he is now in the light. If you don't know anything about Sabbath and a Jewish day, the day begins at sundown, not at sunrise. So Sabbath was about to begin, so they were doing all this preparation in full daylight. Jesus, on the cross, crucified. Nicodemus, who previously came to him at night, is now in the light. He's seen something in Jesus that has revealed something to him, and John wants to make sure we know that he's seen him for who he is, the Messiah, the promised one of Israel. And he also notices, or he also tells us, that Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of spices to bury Jesus. Now, if you don't know anything about how many pounds does it take to bury a person, <laughs> which I don't expect that you would, I, I wouldn't either unless I studied it and like went looking. 
There's one story in the ancient world, and it's, it's a story of like total extravagance. This king dies, and it's like this big, huge deal, and they want to celebrate the king, and like, you know, in his honor and in his name, or whatever, 85 pounds of spices are used to bury this guy. <clears throat> what has John told us about Nicodemus? 75 pounds of spices. He's brought way more than is needed. It's as if Nicodemus wants to lavish Jesus with something. Like, he has recognized that there's something about this Jesus that would require the outpouring of love, abundance and extravagance, lavish gift, because his life is fit for that kind of burial. The point that John is trying to make is that Nicodemus has seen Jesus for who he is. Nothing is spared because he's seen him. And Nicodemus acts in faith. We know the end of the story, right? John 20, Jesus is resurrected, the tomb, the garden, Mary, don't hold on to me. Ah. Nicodemus doesn't know that. He has no security, no knowledge of where this whole story is going, and yet Nicodemus acts in faith. He does something in the world because he believes something about Jesus. He shows up in his own life a certain way because he believes something is true about Jesus. Not because he's certain, not because he knows the end of the story, not because there is like unshakable ground upon which this truth claim can be made. He acts in faith. And whatever he knows about Jesus... He just takes a giant step. And I want to close this morning by offering you the invitation to see yourself in this story. I love this story of Nicodemus because it's, it's the whole gamut. And so maybe for you this morning, it is like Nicodemus in chapter 3, it's a bit dark out there. And maybe there are a lot of questions. How can this be or how can I believe that? It seems to me that there's room for you in the story. So if you've ever been to a church and that wasn't welcomed, where you said, I just can't, I don't, I can't do it. I'm not sure yet. What you're not going to hear from here is you can come this far, but no closer. No. There's a place for you in this story and there's a place for you in this church. I would just encourage you like Nicodemus not to dig it up whatever the seed of unknowing or doubt is, but just let it do its work. Maybe there's a point at which you find yourself like Nicodemus where you know enough to where you can start saying something. You can start acting. You can maybe even leverage a question on behalf of this story and this way of being human in the world to say, does our law not condemn a man before he's been allowed to speak? Like, translate that to 2021. What, what, what are the systems that need a little disruption, a little word of prophecy, a little poke, a little... Ch- Is there any sense in which you might show up <clears throat> and offer a question, leverage a question? And maybe even you find yourself with enough knowledge, with enough experience to take a step of faith to say, I'm going to buy 75 pounds of spices because it's worth it.
Because friends, anybody can take something apart. Yeah, I think there's almost this like faddish kind of uh, tone around deconstruction and, you know, especially within Christianity. Oh, yeah, I'm just deconstructing everything. <clears throat> I had this boat one time. It was a toughy, 16 and a half foot toughy rampage. It's a great name. Had a Yamaha, 70 horse Yamaha on it, two stroke. I don't know anything about engines, but I, get, I, I found out that the bearing on the crankshaft blew up. Didn't like actually blow up, but like broke. I guess that's a pretty important part. It doesn't work without it. <clears throat> so I got a boat that floats, but no motor. I'm like, well, I guess I'll just sell it for parts. But then I thought to myself, well, shoot, I could take that apart. So I just started taking it apart. <laughs> I really, I have no, I don't even know how an engine works. I know that there's like gas and sparks and something and crankshafts. So I just started taking the sucker apart, like bolt by bolt. And I'm taking pictures along the way, like hoping, you know, like when I go to put it back together. You can imagine, it never got put back together because anybody can take something apart. It's really, really easy. But to put it back together, to build a new motor, to build a faith that you can live in, that's actually... That takes really hard work. And I don't want to ever give you the assumption that we're interested in just taking a whole bunch of crap apart because it's fun. But maybe you're at a point in the story like Nicodemus where, yeah, I think I have enough knowledge, experience of this Jesus to take a step of faith and to move down the road. Because it's not a destination that we're looking to get to, but a path we're interested in walking. That's what faith is. So maybe today you say yes to some new aspect of faith. For the first time, for the hundredth time. I don't know. But I don't want you to be left at a point where you think that this is the end, where we just take things apart because it's fun. Because it's, it's interesting, and it can be fun, and it's good, it's important. But what I'm really interested in is the steps where we buy 75 pounds of spices because we really believe it's worth it. So let me invite you to a time of silence and a word of prayer, and then we'll make our way to the table. God, this morning, <clears throat> we come to you with as little or as much faith as we can muster, and I pray that you would, by your Spirit's presence in this room and in our lives, in the world, <clears throat> that you would meet us where we are, help us to identify where we are, and find ourselves in this story somewhere. And then invite us to whatever is next, I pray. Well, to the church gathered, Glad to be with you this morning. If you aren't and are able, if you would stand for a closing benediction. Go knowing this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the church said together, amen. If you can and are able, grab some flyers, hit a couple blocks on your way out. Appreciate it. See you next week for Trunk or Treat.
Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.